you don't have to answer this question, but I, I want you to answer it in your own mind. How much does it take to make you angry? Uh, <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> you know, don't you, Norma? <laughs> uh, well, perhaps it depends on the type of aggravation that is assailing you, you know. Some of you never get mad except in traffic, and then you're just a demon behind the wheel. Um, can you remember the maddest you have ever been? I imagine that other people knew you were angry as well when you were that angry. In fact, maybe you regret, you deeply regret your actions after you were angry. You let them get away from you. If you're old enough, and maybe if you're experienced and mature enough, you've learned it's best not to react when you're angry. I, I, you can't help it sometimes. In fact, some of you were natured in such a way that there's no way you get angry too much, that you, there's no way you can keep it all in. Not all anger is sin, but even righteous anger can very quickly devolve into sinful behavior. Let me ask you a question. When you're angry with someone, do you think it's a good idea to fire off an email to him or her? One of the great questions facing preachers in the 21st century is, is do I keep these emails or do I delete them? <laughs> you wouldn't believe. Well, you would because you've been the recipient or the sender of some of those emails yourself, I imagine. And yet, this is essentially what the Apostle Paul did when he wrote his letter to the Galatians. He was mad and he fired off an email. Al Gore just thought he invented the Internet. Paul had email in the first century because this is what it reads like. It really, it reads like he sat down, typed it out, and hit send. Didn't even think about whether he was going to hit send or not. He just hit send, and there it went. He was angry because only a year earlier he had preached the gospel in these, in these churches in southern Galatia. And now people had come in and were trying to distort the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. We would have to say that the Apostle Paul was justified in his anger. His anger was for the right reasons. But I don't think it would be a good idea as we work our way through the book of Galatians for you to say, okay, this is what I'm going to say next time when I'm righteously angry. You know, when I have this righteous anger welling up inside of me, I think I'll say it like this. But I have a personality like Paul. No. Just don't ever talk to people the way Paul talked to these Galatians because most likely you will not be led by the Holy Spirit and under the kind of control that he was under. Jerome, you know who Jerome was? He's a fourth and fifth century theologian um, who translated the Bible into Latin, the Vulgate. Jerome said when he reads Galatians, he hears the thunder. Richard Longenecker said that Galatians strikes us like a lion let loose in the Colosseum. There's a, 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 a fair amount of sarcasm in Paul's letter 
to the Galatians. In Galatians 3.1, we're going to see Paul address his readers as, Oh, foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips translates it this way. My dear idiots. It's essentially what he was saying. In the South, we might say that when Paul wrote Galatians, he was hopping mad. So I, I think the point's been made. Why was Paul so mad? Because the purity of the gospel was being compromised. It, it wasn't that the gospel was being rejected outright. It was that the gospel was being tainted. It was being perverted. And Paul understood that the closer error is to truth, the more dangerous it is. That's why Christians are far more susceptible to the heresies of Mormonism, of Jehovah's Witnesses, than they are likely to be persuaded by a rant by Richard Dawkins, who thinks that anybody who believes in God is a raving idiot, is half mad. We're not likely to be distracted by Dawkins, but we are more susceptible to people who talk about Jesus, but it's just not quite the same. It may resonate if we're not careful. Well, the title of this series in Galatians is Sons and Slaves, identifying two groups of people in the church. Uh, We debated whether to call this sons and slaves or the more gender-friendly children and slaves, but since nobody has walked out yet, maybe we're okay with the choice that we made. Now, if... You'll hang on about a month or so. You'll understand why this is titled Sons and Slaves. Be, be aware, of course, that when we say sons, we mean men and women and, and, and children as well of, of both genders. Um, we are not <clears throat> making a statement uh, about that at all. It's just like when we talk about mankind, we include everyone in mankind. And like I say, in, a, in about a month or so, you're going to understand the title of this series a lot better. Well, today is going to serve as an introduction to the book of Galatians, thus the fancy sermon title, Introduction to the Book of Galatians. There's a subtitle for those of you who require a little more creative substance to uh, the title of a sermon, and it is Authority and Gospel, which may not be all that creative, but there is a great deal of substance in this Subtitle. Some would go so far as to say that these are the two primary themes of Galatians. Galatians, authority, gospel. Without question, Galatians is a plea for the purity of the gospel. But how can we accept what is said in Galatians as true without the proper, proper authority unless it comes on the proper authority? You're going to see the Apostle Paul arguing repeatedly that his Authority comes directly from Jesus Christ. Thus, he is qualified and authorized to give definition to the gospel. Uh, There were many in Paul's day who questioned his authority. I mean, good grief. He wasn't one of the 12, was he? And that's what the apostles looked for. When they had to replace Judas, they they said, we need someone who was with him all the time and someone who has seen him as the resurrected Christ that he is. In Acts 9, though, we're told that Jesus appeared directly to Paul and commissioned him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We're going to get into that a whole lot more next week. But for now, 
let's just say that Paul's authority as an apostle to share the pure gospel of Jesus Christ was a big deal to Paul. And it's a big deal to us, even though this book was written before A.D. 50. These words are preserved for our benefit in the book of Galatians, and we consider these words to be the very words, word of God. So when Paul was writing, defending his apostleship, and talking about the pure gospel, it means as much to us as it did to the readers in that day. So as we read our text, I want you to look for the themes of authority and gospel. Don't look just for the words, but look for these themes, look for these ideas in our text, and I don't believe you're going to have trouble finding them. Our text this morning is Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. If you would, please stand as we read God's Word, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the, co- the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's as bad as you can say. It's, it is strong. Some of the strongest language you can imagine is in this book of Galatians. And Paul says, let this one be damned eternally to hell who is preaching this so-called other gospel. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, we recognize the seriousness already. We feel it. we're, We're just like Jerome. We feel the thunder. And Lord... um. The language of this book is very raw. And it's raw because of the fury that Paul experienced as a result of the attack on the gospel. 
So, Lord, may we receive this in all its fury, not because I sense that we're in danger of a false gospel arising in our midst, but, Lord, because we're always susceptible to error over truth. So we pray that the pure gospel of Jesus Christ will find its place of priority in our hearts and minds and all that we say and do, both in this place and as we scatter from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. He, he begins his letter in, in a manner that's very uncharacteristic of, of all the other letters that he wrote, even to the Corinthians. He he, he affirms their, their walk with Christ and their faith. And, and sometimes he talks about how your reputation goes out all over the world. Everybody knows about you. Not so in Galatians. Um, in fact, in, in the first three words in, in, in the Greek, you see these words. Paul, apostle, not. And that's the way it reads. Paul. An apostle, we read it, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. But he's essentially saying, I am not just any man. I want you to know that I am sent from Jesus Christ. Not because, Paul's not bragging on himself. We'll, we'll come to that over and over. But he's saying, I was not telling to you just things that I had thought up or made up. I was sent by Jesus Christ. I am His representative. My authority does not come from man. Because a lot of people were questioning, who is this guy anyway? Who is this Paul? The Galatians had had no trouble one year earlier. No trouble whatsoever believing that Paul had been sent from God. But now, apparently, there were some doubt about his credentials. Now, let's, before we jump into this, let, let's stop for a moment. You may recall last year as we worked our way through the book of Acts that Paul had, had seen, if you look just to, the, to your right of the Mediterranean Sea, just to the east of the Mediterranean Sea towards the top, you'll see Antioch of Syria. Paul and, and Barnabas were in the, in the church there in Antioch, and the, and the Holy Spirit said, separate these two for me. I have a mission for them. And so the church sent them out. They went through that little island of Cyprus, and then they moved right up into southern Galatia. You'll see on the map, it says Galatia, and it's got a circle around it. I, I looked high and low for maps. Maybe, you know, David and Sean, can, we can all look for, for better maps if we need to come back to them. But this was the best one I saw. But the problem with this map is that Galatia is shown north of those cities there, Antioch of Pisidia and uh, Lystra and Derbe. You remember Paul went through all of these. Temporarily, at least, the Roman Empire had considered all of this area, Galatia, kind of like the Soviet Union took over nations, and, and, and at times it was all called Russia. Well, all of this was called Galatia in this time. And Paul had gone through this area preaching the gospel of Jesus. You, you may recall from last year or from the verses that were on the screen this morning during, during the um, offering that in Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. Now, when he went into these churches, he encountered 
oh, excuse me, to these synagogues. He, he would go to the synagogues, and there would be Jews there, of course, but there were also God-fearing Gentiles. Gentiles who knew there was something more to life than their pagan lifestyles and, their, and, and the pagan philosophies that, that abounded in that day and the, uh, uh, the, the, the polytheism, the gods that were just, look, it's rent a god for a week and then move on to another god. They knew there was something more. And the Jews seemed to have something. And so the, the, <clears throat> these God-fearing Gentiles were, were um, attracted to what was going on in the synagogues. And they converted to Judaism. And as Sean mentioned last week, and this is going to be a big part of this argument, they took upon themselves the covenant symbol of their relationship with God. They were circumcised. It was, a, it was a difficult commitment for men, but they were that serious about their relationship with, with this God. So Paul comes along and he gives them this great news about the gospel and they believed. Um, when Paul was in Galatia, the Jews would follow him from place to place because they got very jealous of what was going on. When, and, and so they, they, they would follow him and, and, and try to mess up everything that Paul had established there. Uh, they were saying, listen, this Jesus guy, this guy that Paul is talking about was an imposter. Um, Paul had said, None of us are good enough to approach God on the basis of our keeping the law. Because this perfect law of God reveals how imperfect we are. You don't have to. You do not have to keep the law in order to be saved. Some Jews were ecstatic, but, but a lot of the God-fearing Gentiles were ex- especially happy about this news because they recognized it's impossible to keep the law. Look, how bad a shape would you be in if you had to keep all the law in order for God to allow you into heaven? I mean, if you really come right down to it, see, we play with the law. We, we play with with the idea that, okay, well, I, I've got to be a moral person. And um, I don't do this, I don't do that. But when we come up against the perfect law, and there were a lot of people that had figured that out. They were saying, I, I don't get this. I mean, every year we offer sacrifices. Every year we, we have to be forgiven of our sins by killing these animals. Is this really, is this really what... My relationship with God is about. So Paul's, Paul's message resonated. We could never be good enough. Therefore, Jesus came and died for our sins. In the opening of Paul's letter to the Galatians, he reminded them that he had preached Jesus crucified and Jesus alone. In one short year, they were distracted. Now, when Paul preached, the Jews would follow him from town to town and say, this Jesus was an imposter, and he got everything that he deserved, and Paul is a false prophet, and he's worthy of death. And so they stoned him in Lystra. Stoned him, left him for dead. God picked him up, 
Whether he resurrected him or not, we don't know. Whether Paul was actually dead, very likely that's when he went to the heavens and he talks about the third heaven in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But, but now, a far more insidious threat to the gospel had arisen. See, when they walked around and said, this Jesus was an imposter. Well, of course, a lot of people, I'm sure, were intimidated by what they did to Paul and by, by, and by them saying, and we'll do the same thing to you if you keep on with this belief and if you keep spouting this belief. But I'm going to guess that a lot of people said, I don't care what it costs me, I'm following Jesus. Well, now, here comes along a group of people who are saying, of course you need Jesus. I mean, nobody's saying you don't need Jesus to be right with God. You do. We've got to have Jesus. But you've got to understand that this Jesus was a Jew, and it's all part of God's plan, and now you've got to keep the law to stay right with God. You need Jesus to be right or to become right with God, but then you need the law to stay right with God. And Paul's response, really? You, you believe that? In one short year, you're that easily swayed from the gospel that I preached to you and that the Holy Spirit confirmed this gospel with signs and wonders, miracles? Hey, they killed me. Everybody thought I was dead. I'm writing this letter to you. You know that what I preached to you was the truth and you believed it. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit confirmed it in your hearts that this is the truth. And now you're going to believe this other gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Are you going to desert the one who saved you? This was a very strong term too. Military used it for desertions. You're going to betray this one who saved you by saying what you did on the cross was not enough to save you, to save, to save us? Can't you see that these people who are talking to you are distorting the truth and they're, and they're seeking to destroy your faith? Shame on you! Pretty strong. Why was Paul so mad? Was it because the Galatians no longer believed him but were attracted to other preachers, other teachers? who admittedly used Jesus in their sermons. I mean, was that the reason? Even today, there are many who paint Paul as an insecure, petty, defensive, choleric apologist who demanded it in his own way, and in fact, who shaped Christianity in the way that he wanted to, which is pretty much the way we know it today. It's all Paul misunderstanding and misrepresenting the words of Jesus. He was just bound and determined to have his way. If you'll pay attention, and you really don't have to pay close attention, all you have to do is just have this pointed out. Most of the time, almost all the time, when Paul defends himself in Scripture, the gospel is at stake. The purity of the gospel is at stake. Look, in Philip, 
Philippians 1. He said, okay, I'm in jail. There are pe- people who are preaching the gospel, but they're jealous of me, and they're see- they think that because they're out preaching and I'm in jail, that that's going to add sorrow to my chains. But look, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm thrilled. The gospel is being preached. Does that sound like somebody petty and insecure to you? He was in jail, and people were saying, okay, well, finally, it's about time that Baptist preacher went to jail. You know, and we're over here, we're Presbyterian. So, of course, some of you might think it'd be the other way around. The Presbyterian was in jail, and the Baptists were out, you know, street preaching. And, And seeking to add to Paul's sorrow. But unless the gospel was at stake, Paul stayed on message, and the only reason he got off message was to keep the message the primary focus. When the gospel was being attacked, the pure gospel, that, more than anything else, got Paul's dander up. And I want to say this, and some of you are going to go, you're not going to agree, and others are going to say amen. Well, maybe you'll say it in your heart. You'll say it anyway. An attack on Paul today is just as satanic as the attacks were on him in his day. Because it threatens the purity of the gospel. In today's text, it's clear that Paul understood the dire consequences to the church if the error of the Judaizers got a foothold in the church, and, and, and the error of the Judaizers was this, belief in Jesus plus keeping the law. That's the basis of salvation. Believe in Jesus, yes, but then keep the law. That's the basis of your salvation. In plain terms, when Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians, It wasn't his reputation that was at stake. He didn't care, as we're going to see a little bit later. It was our salvation that was at stake. Your salvation, Phil, Sarah, Sean, Danny, your salvation was at stake when Paul wrote his letter. No less than salvation in these New Testament days was at stake. And Paul was upset that it was being threatened. Now remember, Paul was speaking to believers, to those who had committed their lives to Jesus, thankful for the full redemption available by grace through faith in God's Son. So as you look at verses 6 through 9, do you see a man who is gently reminding these believers of of what he had taught them and what they had believed about the gospel? Or do you see someone who is more like Moses coming off the mountain and he sees God's people behaving badly and he takes those stones on which God had written the Ten Commandments and he throws them down? Well, Paul, Moses saw God's covenant people behaving badly. Paul saw God's people being tempted to believe badly. And he was angry. He said essentially, you believed the truth. Do not listen to any man or even an angel from heaven 
If he says that Jesus plus anything equals salvation, it is Jesus alone or it is not Jesus at all. That's it. When can you not believe an angel? When they tell you another gospel. That Jesus is the Christ and he's the only way to heaven. Well, we're going to be revisiting this pure gospel over and over in the book of Galatians. In fact, we're going to be thinking about it more in just a moment when Jim McLaughlin comes to lead us to the Lord's table. I want Paul's words, though, in verse 10 to ring in our hearts and minds as we wrap up this introduction. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Just think of how much better off we would be if we had this attitude. Now, look, you can have this attitude with arrogance, and it's not a good thing. You know, well, me and God. Well, you make sure you got the Holy Spirit like Paul had the Holy Spirit. And we, none of us are inspired like he was. So be very careful how you use it. But, but <clears throat> when it comes to thinking about the gospel and your willingness to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ, or your willingness to defend the gospel when it is being perverted even slightly. How helpful this attitude is. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we've got to care enough about other people not to care what they think about us. See, that's kind of like a youth worker, you know? You've got to care enough about them not to care what they think about you. But it's true for anybody who knows the who doesn't know the gospel, can connect with people. We've got to just not care. It's not easy to share the pure gospel of Jesus in a day when the entire world is trying desperately one way or another to work its way to God. And it's comfortable with this works-oriented salvation. And when we come along, which you would think is the best, and it is to us, to, to us the best news in the world is that Jesus died and I, I don't have to be good enough because I don't measure up. And if you think you're good enough now, just wait 20 or 30 years. You'll, you'll be over it by then. <clears throat> That's wonderful news to us, but it's not wonderful news to the world. And they don't like it. But remember, the truth that Jesus gave himself for us is not only good news, it is overwhelmingly the best news in the world. And it's the, the news that this fallen world desperately needs to hear. And your willingness to share the pure gospel of Christ may depend on your willingness and your desire to please God more than you want to please yourself. Let's pray. And as I pray, I will ask uh, 